Yes. Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late to transportation. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello and welcome. Shelly D. Leander, and that was a very serious introduction. Is that because our guest today is a, well, he was a co-host of Planet Money, and I think a co-founder of Planet Money. Money's very serious. I take it very seriously. As is NPR, which is where you can listen to Planet Money. And he also was a producer on This American Life and an executive producer on the This American Life TV show, which is one of the few times in which a TV show was voluntarily taken off the air instead mm. of uh, pushed off. Fun fact, right? You gotta stick to your guns. Yeah, this American Life was like, mm, I don't know if this is working. What is working is um, Alex's new company, Gimlet Media, and you can listen to his podcast, Startup. I strongly encourage it if for any type of entrepreneur, which is unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, most anyone in this era. I was really excited to sit down with Alex in the Gimlet offices. We'll see if they're much nicer than our offices. Yeah, I mean, we'll be able to hear if they're nicer. I'm guessing they are, since technically our office right now is your bedroom. Um, hey, now. Enjoy our interview with... Enjoy my interview with Alex. Alex, congratulations on winning the Employee of the Month Award. Does it feel as good as winning the Peabody? <laughs> Better. <laughs> uh, I didn't know. I actually... That's that's really... That's very exciting. Yeah. Um, I've never been an employee... Of the month. Congratulations. Not even when you were a caterer. Not even when I was a caterer. Not even or, when I was Or a, especially when you were. <laughs> not even when I was a stock boy at Thriftway Foods in high school. Uh, and I was a good stock boy. I don't know why. Um, well, that's a, a good segue and the only segue for my first question, mm-hmm. which I was so intrigued to hear that you didn't know that you could make it in media because I also had a very similar experience and didn't start until later in life. And I know that in hindsight or to any rational human being to say that you grew up in an educated Jewish household. And How was I ever going to make it in media? Right. You know? <laughs> but um, when did that, um, why was that there for you? Why the, the, the feeling of inadequacy or, or the feeling of... Let's go there first, yes. Instead of why did you think you needed to be a lawyer or a doctor? I much oh. prefer... Did you really have a... Did you really I, experience a feeling of inadequacy? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that was the whole reason. I didn't even think I was going to be a lawyer or, or, or a doctor or anything like that. I just thought... Um, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I just thought, like, I wanted to do something, but I wasn't ever going to be able to do anything because I wasn't, you know, talented enough or... I don't know, I didn't have what it takes or I didn't, you know. Yeah, I just felt like I, I had like a, I had a fear of trying. Yeah, I, I call it, because a lot of people will say they have fear of um, success and fear of failure. Right. And I always feel like I have the fear of success, not the fear of failure. Why do you have the fear of success? What do you mean? It's I, it's um, scared of succeeding. Like you don't think you're good enough. Oh, right. Yeah. Yours I, was short-lived. You what, soon realized you were. No, I mean, it was like, it was very long lived. It took, it took, you know, a decade of like, you know, like not doing anything or, I mean, it's not like I wasn't doing anything. I, you know, I taught school and I went to graduate school and I was doing all these things, but it wasn't like, it was just sort of like, um, 
the thing, you know, in the back of my mind, what I really, what I, my dream was to, you know, write narrative nonfiction for Harper's Magazine. Like, that was my dream. And I was like, well, I could never achieve that. Like, how would I ever get Be in everyone's a- toilet. Be- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, in everyone's bathroom. In the toilet of at least <laughs> 10,000 people in uh, the English-speaking world. Uh, but um, the, so I didn't, I didn't think, I, yeah, I didn't think I could do that for some reason. I just felt like, well, there was the people who did that were much smarter and more sophisticated and uh, just better at it. And I, I wouldn't have any idea how to begin and how to do that. And so, and so, therefore, I had to find something that was more my speed for like a kid from Cincinnati. And so, you know, that was like being a teacher or whatever, like something, you know, I was just like, okay, well, this is going to be my life and I'm not going to like want to do that other thing. Um, but then, you know what it was? I was meeting people who went to to Ivy League schools, and I was like, "Oh, because we're basically, you know, like we read the same books and stuff like that." And they had like, you know, it's like they had like a li- they were a little bit more together. They had what it takes to get the, you know, to get into the next tier of school. But for all intents and purposes, we're about the same. And like they had just much bigger expectations for what their lives could be. And I was like, "Oh, well, if you think that about your life, then I can think that about my life too." That was mainly what it was. It was like, "Oh, it was like." Getting exposure to Ivy Ivy League kid educated <laughs> Ivy League educated people. I couldn't agree more. It crystallized recently for me when I was around a bunch of friends who went to Harvard, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, they were just super confident in high school." But the truth is, is that all the years fumbling for me, which were um, more than a decade, uh, if not um, almost three. Um, were actually ended up giving me all these life skills <laughs> that that helped me more in business and the social skills. But at first, it is it is so true that um, confidence, almost delusional confidence, is really important. Yeah, to it, to at least try. You it's know, like, it's sort of like it's sort of confidence, but it's also sort of like it wasn't even delusional. Okay, Conf- <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even. No, no. I mean, in your case, it might be delusional. In my case, it wasn't delusional. I see. Uh, no, but it wasn't. Um, uh, no, what I was saying, like, to me, it was more like, oh, they just saw it as a path that people, like, for them, that wasn't a big thing. Like, they were like, well, of course you could be write narrative nonfiction for Harper's Magazine, like so-and-so does, and so-and-so does, and somebody, somebody else had an internship there, and somebody else was doing this. And and it was just sort of like, I I was, it just, it wasn't, like, weird at all, you know? Yes. And that's the thing that was like, and to me, it was like, it seemed like this really sort of thing that I could never have, there, it, I didn't even know the path. It didn't seem like a, there was a chasm between me and that, which also by itself is weird because I went to Oberlin. It's not like I went to like, which admittedly is like a pretty slacker mid-tier college, but like not like, you know, except it wasn't if like, you're a musician. Except if you're a musician, right, exactly. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was like a bunch of dropouts there. Like it was like, you know, it was like you you had to, you know, you had to have pretty decent SAT scores to get in. Like it wasn't like I was like in some sort of like, um, I don't know, uh, totally devoid of experience sort of place. I just, it's just weird. I don't know what it was that like, I could have found people who were doing that and it just it just never occurred to me that I could. I don't know. It's weird. It's a it's a mystery of my life actually. Like why it took me so long to realize like that dream isn't that big. Especially <laughs> you know when I mean? especially yeah. when you said it wasn't delusional. It was just a um it was a matter of just understanding that that existed for you. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like I want to be um I want to play in the NBA or I want to be the president or you know like where there is some sort of delusion to that. Like no matter who you are, like you know 
there's only one person. And I think for a, a white female, it is delusional for me to think that I could be a talk show host. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like a, it's a man's game. Or Katie. any female. When are you going to realize? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it does lead me to an, another question. Um, how how did um, going to a liberal arts school prepare you to become a financial uh, reporter? Oh, uh, it, it didn't. It didn't prepare me at all. I guess the one thing that it did prepare me is it is it it I don't know. It sounds trite to say it did train me to ask to have critical inquiry to ask questions. You know, and the one thing I will say about Oberlin is that they it was like. I feel like I was miseducated in many ways. Um, but they did uh, train you to be curious. That was good. You yeah. Know, like, there was a lot of curious people there. And, like, uh, curiosity is important. And there's a huge Oberlin mafia in journalism. There's a huge Oberlin mafia Robert in Robert Krulwich, Emily Nussbaum. Yeah. Oh, and in public radio, it's way over-indexed. Yeah. Like, Calhoun. Ben yeah, Calhoun. Ben, uh, Elise Spiegel. Jad Abumrad and Robert Krulich, both of Radio Lab, went there. Zoe Chase, uh, Hannah Jaffe Walt. Like, it's crazy. It's just yeah. a feeding frenzy. Yeah, I know. And I don't, yeah, I know. Something about the kale at Oberlin. See, like, that's what I was like saying. Like, how would I have ever thought? How would I have ever dreamed that I could have a career in public radio? Going to like a tiny school, like, <laughs> going to the, <laughs> that, that intellectual backwater of Oberlin College. I don't know. I don't know what, yeah. Weird. So, what happened to you in 1999? 1999, <laughs> I got a full time job at This American Life, <laughs> and that was after uh, sort of freelancing and doing other stuff there for for a couple of years. So I started, I, I, I got my first sort of like taste of employment at This American Life in '97 as like the sort as of, an admin, right? Yeah, as an ad, but yes, exactly. Uh, Do you prefer to go by secretary? <laughs> you know, I called myself administration. That was my that was that was my my way of dealing with it. Uh, but uh, yeah. I was administration, and I did the mailings and sent out the, you know, did all the stuff that needed to get done. Uh, I was sort of half intern, half administrator, half, like, sort of produ- produ- producer's assistant. It was, like, just a couple of people at that point. Um, and then I did that for a little bit, and then I left to freelance on my own for a while, and then I came back full-time in 99. I was so intrigued. Um, I heard you in an interview talking about um, how you did this terrific story and thought that that would... Um, enable you to move to the next level. Yeah. And that, in fact, you had to um, quit yes. in order to move up. Yes. Can um, you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, we did. So one of the things, so back, This American Life in 1997 had, was two years old. Uh, and it was, you know, it was like Ira, and I think there was, and it was just three producers and me. Um, and... Uh, and it was just they were trying to do an hour a week, and it was just crazy. And people worked till all hours. And he wanted to do um, a excuse me. He wanted to do a, a show about Harold Washington, the first black mayor of Chicago. And he didn't have anybody to put on it to, to to actually help him do it. And so he was like, "Here, read this biography of Harold Washington." And so I was very eager. And so I started doing it, and I started booking interviews, and was finding all these great Chicago people all around, and it was really exciting. And so I was just sort of like taking the reins of that. Um, and then uh, the show came out after, you know, you know, one of the worst weeks of production of my entire life. Uh, but it, it did go up and it came out and then it was, you know, well-received. People liked it. And, uh, and I was like, all right, I did it. I passed my test and now I'm going to be a, a producer. And I went in and then, like, I came in on Monday and he handed me a bunch of 
you know, letters and was like, okay, put stamps on these, put them in the mailbox. And I was like, but wait, what? I'm, aren't I a producer? And so I did it and I was like, kept on waiting for him to sort of like say, okay, you're a producer now. And, and he never did. Uh, and so then finally I went to him and I was like, hey, you know, I want to, you know, I feel like I did a good job. I want to actually, you know, be promoted. Uh, and he was like, I can't promote you. I don't have a position for you. I don't have money to promote you. I also need an administrator. I, you know, I don't, you know, like he was just starting this thing. Uh, and it was like, it was like, and even if I did have a position, I don't know if I'd hire you because you don't have that much experience, which was really harsh to hear at the time. But also really, I really appreciated him being honest about it. Like it was very, like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was really important to hear that, you know, and like hear his honest feedback. And I was like, well, what do you think I should do to give myself the skills that you would need? And, and he said, well, probably you should go and freelance and just get more reporting experience, you know, like that's what I w- would want. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so then I sort of saved up some money and I, uh, I went to my parents and I said, hey, I'm not going to go to graduate school, but here's my plan. I need $10,000 to make it through this year and I'm going to try to become a freelance journalist. Uh, and we worked it out and they gave me like, you know, thousand bucks a month and then you know and, and that's all it took like I actually did it like after that um, I started making a living by the end of the year uh, did you write for Savvy Traveler I did a story for Savvy Traveler <laughs> so I did Rudy a, Maxa I did I did a story for Savvy Traveler on uh, <laughs> on um, uh, Club Med yeah nice did you I get did. to go to Club Med I did <laughs> That was some shady journalism in retrospect. <laughs> Can you describe that for people? Because I don't think they fully... I don't, I don't know if people fully understand what it means when you do those kinds of junket trips and things Well, the, like that. yeah, because you go... Because the, the Savvy Traveler didn't have money to send me to, to, to Club Med. So I had to call Club Med and say, I'm a journalist writing, a, doing a story. Can I come? And they were like, okay, sure. And then I think... I don't remember who... I didn't have to pay for it. Like, and I don't... I mean, I don't want to malign Savvy Traveler. Maybe they paid for it. I can't remember now. Like, it was possible. But I think in my memory, this was like a long time ago. It was 98 or something like that. But I think the they, you know, they gave me some sort of break to co- go there and stay there. So I stayed at Club Med for a week, and I, I didn't pay for it. I'm pretty sure Savvy Traveler didn't pay for it, so I'm assuming that, that Club Med did. Um, but I was, like, sort of so naive about how it worked that I did a real story about Club Med, which was just, like... It was just, I didn't know what to expect, but it was really, like, just so much drunkenness and so much sex. Like, it was just, like, it was, like, really, like, adults going down there and just, like, having, like, and just, like, screwing each other for, like, a week. You know, like, I'd never, I didn't, yeah, it was really eye-opening. Like, not me, I was a journalist, I had a job to do. But, uh, uh, but, like, it was, yeah, it was, it was really... It was really weird. Okay, I am switching to the brand part pretty um, yeah. fast, and I'm I'm jumping around. But when when do you see control to them in terms of scripts? Meaning, do they get to see your final script? Do they have final yeah, advertisers? Approval? Yeah, advertisers. Do um, advertisers get to see your final scripts? Uh, we sent. I don't actually know um, because I don't deal with the advertisers really ever. Uh, that is all Matt. Matt does does all of it. My understanding is that some of them want to hear it before it goes out, and some of them don't. And some of them are very very fussy about like you know, is it, you know how it sounds or whatever. And some of them don't really care at all. Uh, and so, for example, Mailchimp 
they didn't even want to hear it before it went up. Um, they were just like, whatever, you just do what you want to do. Um, and so I would just call them up and interview them and then write something and then put it out and they, they didn't never, never heard a word. Um, Ford, we would track something and then we'd send it to them and they were like, ah, they didn't like it. And we would track something else and send it to them. Um, sometimes they send us some suggested language and sometimes I'll read it. Sometimes I won't. We've done things where, like, we did, we've done spots for people that I felt like were really funny and really good, and they didn't like them. Uh, and so, uh, so then we were just like, okay, fine, just whatever, give us the copy you want us to read, and we'll read it. Um, you so, do do that? Yeah, yeah, oh, sure. I mean, okay. like, we won't, if it's, like, if it's copy that I don't want to read, like, I won't read it, but, like, generally it's sort of like, here's our product, here's what it does, you know, here's the offer code. You know what I mean? And, like, that's sort of pretty standard and straightforward. If they were, like, if the copy said, I use this and I love it when I don't use it and I don't love it, I would obviously never read that. Um, you know, if they wanted me to say something that wasn't true, I wouldn't do it. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, it's an advertisement. They're paying for it. They're paying for it to, you know, they are, that is, we're very clear, they're paying to get their message out and we are going to try to get their message out for them. We're not going to, not at the expense of our own, you know, standards or convictions or personal ethics. So that's, that's sort of what the, that's sort of the, the line, but it's not, it's not a, it's not a bright, fine line every single time. You know, it's just, it's a constant sort of like, does this feel okay to me? Yeah, that feels okay to me. This doesn't feel okay to me. I'm not going to say that. And I'll do that. Like I'll often will like, I don't want to say this. It doesn't feel right. And I'll, and I will tweak it and I'll send it. And then I'll, you know, whoever's dealing with the advertiser, I'll say, I did, I changed the, I changed the lines here, you know, see what they say. And if they, and sometimes they'll be like, hey, could you do it this way? And we'll be like, well, I don't feel comfortable with that. We'll go back and forth. Yeah, like America doesn't run on Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <coughs> I wouldn't, yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> America runs to Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and that's why America doesn't run very fast. <laughs> um, Americans. So, I, so you come back to this American life, and I thought that was really fascinating that you had to leave, mm-hmm. get the experience you needed to get the next job there. Yeah. And you return there. And I just wanted to ask how you made the transition from doing radio to television for This American Life. Oh, uh, awkwardly, poorly, clunkily. Um, it was a, it was a, we, you know, we had this, this was something that had sort of been around since I'd started at This American Life. Basically, like in 1999, I remember one of the first meetings was like, we're going to do a TV show for Fox. Uh, and then we even piloted something, and then it didn't, you know, we ended up not doing it. And we, it was just constantly under discussion, sort of the TV show, the TV show. And it just never happened. And then by 2004, 2005, it felt like, okay, now it's really going to happen on Showtime. Um, and then it kept on going. Like, it kept on being like, and we'd learned from our previous mistakes of like, sort of like, we'd sort of learned a couple things from our previous mistakes, which is sort of like we really needed to hire people who knew what they were doing to help us. And we really needed to have a plan and that like, if what we're trying to do is the video equivalent of the sound of This American Life, like, it's not enough just to sort of, like, sound like ourselves in front of a camera. You know what I mean? We have to, it has to be thought through entirely, and we need help in thinking that through. Um, but, uh, but we just had so much to learn, you know? Like, we did, we, the, you know, the first couple things that we did were just, so, like, I just didn't understand the first thing about visual storytelling I thought like we came in with a lot of I think I think you know a lot of arrogance about it and we had our asses handed handed to us like it's a brand new medium and we had no idea how to how to we were not masters of that medium at all 
It's interesting because I've heard um, someone say, oh, This American Life chose to take itself off the air even though Showtime wanted to renew the show. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And so why didn't you want to learn it and get good at it? Well, I think by the end of the second year, I feel like we had done some stuff that we felt like, okay, that's good, that that we're proud of that. And, like, there's a couple episodes that by the end... I feel like we're we're good. Like the like the John Smith episode, which was which I think is just like, um, you know, just pretty amazing. Um, what was the other one that was like? There's a couple of there was this like one. What about was the Marwin other one Call. that was memorable? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a couple other ones that were sort of like there were moments here and there, you know, that were really good. Um, but uh, but I felt like uh, but. Um, it was mainly like I mean honestly the the I think the real reason was that it was uh that it was just so much work and so much time and um and it was for like reaching an audience that was you know a fraction of the size of the radio audience you know like the numbers of people who watch documentary on premium cable <laughs> you know is it's, it's not that big you know um and so we just felt like we were like we were sort of like diluting the core thing, which was the radio show and podcast, at the expense of sort of the glamour of television that like hardly anybody was watching, you know, comparatively. Um, and you know, it just didn't it just didn't make sense. It was fun. We felt like we'd learned a lot, but it was just it was just too exhausting, you know. So. And now you can reach an even bigger audience with digital. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, I get the transition from being a producer to becoming an entrepreneur, uh-huh. but I'm not always clear on how someone, what, how writing independently prepares you to become a producer, which entails managing a staff. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. How was that transition from you, for you? Oh, it was very, uh, well, I mean, producer is such a, it's like a, such a, it's like manager, like you could be, a, you know, a manager of McDonald's and a manager of General Motors and, you know, it's like, it's, um, so, uh, I, it, like, so producer at This American Life is a fairly, key, you know, specific thing, which just simply means you're sort of like a, you're sort of like a, you're part of the journalism team. Um, and it's sort of like you're a team, like with the reporter and the producer, they're sort of going out together and like they're collaborating on making it. And the, the reporter is the one who ultimately says the words, but the producer is sort of cutting all the tape and really helping shape the story and shape the structure. So it was a lot more. So as at This American Life, like I got good at working with people to sort of like collaborate on stories. And then This American Life has a pretty collaborative model of like editing. Everybody comes, you know, we all would edit things. We'd all sit in on edits and sort of like give our notes. Um, it's, it's th- it was technically the first holacracy. The, the first what? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm using the language that Zappos uses. So there's a, oh. a a method of like self-management where everyone's equal. <laughs> oh, it's definitely not. It was definitely not that. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, it was close to. The, it was actually not far. Like I don't, Yeah, it wasn't like um, there was. Uh, Definitely, there was a boss, but like everybody else was pretty empowered to do, you know, w- you know, to do what they were that what they were doing. It was nice that way, and like everybody, there was like one title basically. Um, so, uh, but um, so anyway, I, I felt like so you get a little bit of that, and then it was just, but it was when Planet Money started that I was like, that I was like, okay, now I'm like sort of a, a boss of of people, and I'm like, why did you leave this American life? Oh, it was just the story. Like, it was just a great story to tell. Like, the fi- the world was collapsing, and I had sort of, I felt like I understood it in a way that other people didn't. And I and Because was, why? 
just because because of like I had happened to have become obsessed with debt in like the early you know in like the mid two thousands. Like I had happened to become obsessed with like sort of like I. Where is all this money coming that people are borrowing? Like, how is that happening? That everyone can get a subprime mortgage. That everyone can get a subprime mortgage and that everyone has credit card debt out the wazoo and that everybody is, like, loaded up to the gills on student debt. Did you? No. And I think that's because, like, uh, that was where I was a late bloomer. Like, because I remember, that was where I was, it helped. Because, like. Soon I'll be committing fraud. It just took me a long time to get in the game. Exactly. No, but, like, because I graduated in 1989 from college, right? (laughs) And, like, I graduated into the teeth of a recession. And, like, the last, what, every, the last time I'd sort of thought about interest rates or anything like that or like home loans or anything like that was that like they're really hard to get you had to fill out all this paperwork and son you're never going to be able to happen so don't even try and like that sort of like I was like okay well then that's the way I'll live my life now like I I will never be able to get a mortgage I will never be able to you know sort of like get a loan like that's just not what happens and I sort of lived my life that way for a couple years and then you know and then like you know look around a decade later and like the, the, the people who were 10 years younger than me were like putting no money down and buying houses. And I was like, wait, what? Something changed. What changed? You know? And then, and then that's when I sort of became obsessed with it. Like, how did that happen? So, so that was like that. And so I started looking in, and I just became obsessed. I was sort of like, I was deep into comment sections of obscure blogs and, you know, uh, just, it just was just this thing that I was just really fascinated by. And I started understanding the mechanics of it all. I um, like that the deep in the comment section is what <laughs> equals a uh, training that course. That was my murder wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, have yeah. you read the comments on Gawker or Reddit? <laughs> Maybe Reddit sometimes, but <laughs> certainly not Gawker. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned that you're in, not today yet, but um, you've mentioned in other interviews that you're a better editor than host. Um, but it seems like today places are looking for a host to be a good editor and also a, a producer to be able to self-produce, to have all these different skills. And I was curious, now that you're um, branching out and have all these new shows, what are you looking for in a host and an editor and a producer? Do you expect them to have, be able to wear each hat equally? or? Um, I, I don't think that there's... No. Def, the answer is no. I don't expect people to wear the, wear the same hat. I think people... What I'm trying to do is like really, really figure out like what people are are good at and like trying to sort of like build a team around them that helps them where they're not strong and lets them you know shine when they are where where they are strong uh so I mean for me, like a host, what you need as a host is you just want you you want somebody who's who people want to listen to <laughs> you know yeah. and has a vision and feels like live and poppy and hosty yeah you know? no I know the yeah. difference but I do feel um, it's interesting because I meet so many journalists uh-huh. who want to be hosts and I think that there is um, they do such an excellent job with due diligence yeah um, but aren't as accessible necessarily yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a personality trait it's not because someone's too smart sometimes yeah. people will say like oh I was too smart to do stand up and like that's not true yeah 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 <laughs> like, exactly you no you just weren't good enough. at it it's okay <laughs> you just, weren't like, smart okay. enough yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to convey right. your points yeah um, but in, in a way that was funny and brief or whatever yeah yeah exactly no yeah. Um, 
but I at the same time I see when I apply for things they they expect so many different skills that um, aren't necessarily related. Yeah, I mean it's like it's tricky because like and I think most you know everybody wants the person who can do it all right like that's you know it, it would make and I think that's sort of like there's a certain element of that like yeah sure I want that too I want somebody who's like you know a great host and is a great editor and knows how to structure a story and all that sort of stuff and like if there's somebody who comes along who has all those skills that's great. Um, uh, but I also feel like you know, even the best you know, even the best people need you know an editor. You know, like oh, you know, and like without and like, a doubt, yeah. And like, <laughs> I have not met a person who doesn't you know who doesn't get way better with everybody's first draft sucks no matter who you are, right? And so like, um, so so that's like so to me they're pretty different different positions. Um, but I also feel like you know I come out of this like the, one of the things that I saw happen inside the public radio system over and over and over again is somebody has a big idea about like here's a show that should happen and they sort of like wrench it together with a bunch of different parts that don't really fit and it's like some executive's vision that nobody else on the team really shares and like and it just is like this Frankenstein monster of mediocrity and uh, and I think so to me what I really when like I have ideas for shows but I want the people who were hiring to buy into them and then take ownership of them and sort of grow them into whatever because that's the only way it's going to feel good is if it's somebody if it's organic if it's some if it's somebody who has a vision for it or at least can develop a vision for it along the way you know and that's so, what I'm really looking for is you know a vision somebody who has a theory you want people who can see and who can theorize yes yeah exactly um, but like you, I was curious because I know you're doing a new comedy type media show with Adam McKay, right? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So were you like, we need another um, broy comedy show, or were you like, I really want to work with Adam McKay and my old partner? No, so so I think no, no, it wasn't. It was it wasn't. How that, do you yeah. how do you choose the shows that go into your library? Well, the, it's like they came to they like Adam Davidson was like, you know, I've been hanging out with Adam McKay and. He and I, like, have this, you know, we get involved in these really, you know, sort of, like, really interesting conversations where, like, we sort of, like, we're, like, we do these things, that, you know, where, like, it seems like it's boring and then we end up being fascinated and we think it could be a great podcast. And, like, they came and they were excited about it. Like, they had this vision. They had a name. They were, like, and it'll just be this thing and it'll be, like, there'll be elements of the comedy podcast, but there'll also be elements of the sort of the NPR you know, sort of like journal, like interviews with interesting people. We're actually going to not shy away from like diving deep into the nerdy details of things. Like that's going to be part of the thing that we're going to do. The minutia. I feel yeah. like nerdy is so overused in that world. I'm like, I don't think you know nerdy. Yes, <laughs> the minutia. Yeah, but like having spent too long in academia, I'm like, let me show you nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> you do not want to record and edit it. <laughs> right. Yes. No. Uh, yeah. It's not going to be an academic <laughs> symposium, but yes, it will be edited. But like, but like, there will be, you know, like there will be, you know, sort of like something. There, there will be actual edification going on, and like that's going to be the key, one of the key goals of the whole thing. That's a problem that they're both named Adam. I understand. Uh, you could do Adam squared. Yeah, that's true. Adam, Adam two. Adam, uh, yeah, that was a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Like, they had a theory about what they wanted to do. And, like, and what they wanted was somebody to help them develop their theory. And that's, like, and, like, so that's what we can do. We can, we, we, we have a little bit of cash to throw it. We can hire a producer. We can sort of pilot these things. Do they need cash? 
They personally don't need cash. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, they're not going to fork over, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, to, you know, to hire somebody and develop a show and fly themselves around and stuff like, like, like if they can. And also it's just sort of like, it's also just, this is what we're good at. You know, this is like our expertise is sort of like, how do you design a show that hopefully will sound good and we'll have listeners, you know, and how do we keep it moving and stuff like that. So, um, so, you know, so that it just felt like, well, this is a great experiment to try, you know. I mean, um, my, I asked that question because I would assume they have a lot of funding and I'm, you don't have as much funding. Um, they have, well, they have a lot of, I mean, it's one thing to be like personally wealthy as, as uh, I assume Adam McKay is because he's, you know, a big time director. Um, but just because that, be, just because you have that doesn't mean that you want to, um, you know, necessarily fund your own production of something out of your own pocket. You oh, know? I get yeah. that. I was just curious, like, to what extent you care whether you look at a project and think, okay, that's a phenomenal project. That person has a great voice, but they don't have the resources. So oh, no. we can provide that. Or does that not come up? Oh, no. Oh, like, are we doing this to, like, are we, are we, are we trying, is that part of our calculus, calculation? Like, this boy, this person would not otherwise be heard if, unless we sort of, like, came into the mix. Uh, not now. Like, I feel like we're still, like, we're, you know, we've had a pretty successful run so far, but, like, we're still, like, we're not, like, you know, a big, <laughs> you know, I feel like very, very far away from being like a big, powerful media entity. We need help still getting out there. Like part of it is sort of like part of the thing was, you know, is like, um, yeah, it just seemed like a nice partnership in terms of like Adam McKay has access to a whole bunch of people that we don't know about and like that would be fun to have on podcasts that might help spread the word about our podcast to a bunch of different audiences. Like that's definitely something that we're thinking about also. Like who, you know, is there some, is there, and that, I want to, that's like 2% of the, of the calculation, like 90% of the calculation is like, can we make something good? And is it a good idea? Does it feel like robust as a theory? Right. But the fact that that platform already exists, I was curious, like, are you going to have the same kinds of people who are on all the other podcasts then coming onto yours or? What do you mean? Like the. Tell me what you meant by the access to people who you might not already have what you meant by that oh I don't know just sort of like uh, I mean maybe this is a world that you're more familiar with than I am like being in the in, in sort of the comedy world and, the, and, and there that, are but, hundreds com- of comedy podcasts no no of course there's, <laughs> I, that, I, that I know uh, but but I but I I just felt like you know like um you know, McKay is like, you know, part of Hollywood. And like, if we wanted to, you know, there's like, I don't know to the extent that we would ever want to have actors on, but if we did, you know, sort of for some sort of hijinks that we're doing, that might be fun. You know, it's not like, it's not like he, that that also wasn't a, a, a big consideration, but it was just sort of like, I've never worked with somebody like that from that world. And it seemed like, oh, that'd be interesting to do that. You know, like that's, that was basically the extent of it. If all we did was had podcasts with like, you know, uh, a white comedy guy and a white and a white NPR guy, like that would be, yeah, that would be definitely a a failure. Like we definitely want to do lots of other kinds of things and have lots of other kinds of hosts and lots of other other kinds of voices, and that's something that we're thinking about 
you know, all the time. And, um, and, uh, I mean, I think about it. I have a, I have a lot of white male on my show because they have really fascinating careers and jobs. And I feel like, well, other people can learn from that as well. It doesn't mean that it's not weighing on my mind constantly, um, as to branching out and having more and more people. And I do, but I mean, I, I certainly have a, um, a lot of white males on my show, and there's reason. They have really great jobs. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, no, but, but I think most of the people that we're considering for other shows are not white males. Uh, um, blue men? Mm-hmm. Any blue men? Uh, they already have a show. Can I tell you a secret? <laughs> we have a blue men group podcast. It's where there's a problem, which is the blue men, the blue men don't talk. <laughs> so... But that's uh, I think we'll I think we'll overcome that problem. It's in development right now. I'm trying to figure it out. There are a plethora of um, white male hosts um, with podcasts about comedy and also about media. I, well, I think that's where I feel like that's what I, you and public radio. I don't I don't think of this as a comedy podcast at all. Like I don't think like part of the thing like that's that I think that's I would where extend I what I was yeah. saying to um, media and to. Um, public radio yeah yeah but I but I think so like but I, I I was thinking like the way I think of their podcast is sort of like capturing if you look at the podcast world as a whole it, you know here's there's there's tons of comedy podcasts like right that's really really well represented there's uh, tons of interview podcasts that's very very well represented um, there's uh, there's now like a pretty big ton of storytelling podcasts, yes. right? Um, and then there's like, you know, and then there's like sort of the public radio-y kinds of things. There's there's fewer of those because they're sort of, they tend to be more expensive to produce. Uh, but there's still like, you know, there's like the TED Radio Hour and Radio Lab and This American Life and all that sort of stuff. Um, and and we're, what, and, and then there's like these, there's interesting things. There's like, um, there's stuff you should know, and there's like yeah. uh, the Dan Carlin show, you know, um, and these things that have pretty massive audiences. And it feels like a big thing that people like about podcasts is that they learn something. Like there's a big edification component. And so when I was thinking that the reason I like the Adam and Adam show was to me it sort of like it was combining a couple of the, the cool things about podcasts, right? Like because Adam. Davidson just like knows a shit ton about everything and he just loves to read and learn and like that's like it's just amazing working with him like he's just he is a really unique person like I, I've never met anybody like him um, and then I've never met another Adam like him <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and then combining that with somebody like McKay who comes from a whole different sensibility and brings a whole different you know perspective to it and like if you can sort of like combine those two elements he's always he's also uh, incredibly smart about politics yeah and uh, like and like is into it so so that to me was what I was thinking like to me I feel like this is like a a a hybrid that's sort of borrowing from those two things and actually trying to create something new so that's what that's what it was like to me I'm I, I really I'm I don't feel like this is a comedy podcast like I feel like this is a I'm trying, like, what I hope, if we're successful, this will feel very, very different, I hope. And it probably might not feel that different in the very beginning, but, like, hopefully as it grows, it will sort of really feel like its own its own thing. Um, so that's, I, I think that's why I misunderstood the question. Um, yeah. I didn't word it very well. It was more a, a, a question about how you pick your shows. Yeah, yeah. And I, it, I was curious in terms of um, every facet of it. Yeah, and that's, I think that's sort of what we're, like, 
like I'm I'm sort of looking at like what are the things that people love uh, and then where you know what seems to do well and then also what could what I feel like could what what isn't that well represented out there that could get a big audience I mean that's the other thing is that like we do want to make hits you know we want to make we want to have big audiences like that's the only way this sort of whole operation succeeds um, so it's not it's not going to be too obscure too niche but it but but I also feel like it has to have some definition to it so um, but it, it feels like if you look at the landscape like the thing like podcasts like people listen they like there's because they have story to them like there's some sort of story to them because they're learning something or because they feel like there's like there's some a companionship element like they feel like they're hanging out with friends yeah and i feel like those are the three big things that people get from podcasts and like really good podcasts sort of combine all those elements like you you know uh, like Jed like does that like there's like there's a story there's learning and then I don't this think of that as a podcast so I think of shows like Radio Lab and This American Life as radio shows that people can download mm-hmm. and that they get to they are considered podcasts as well now because podcast is sort of an umbrella uh-huh. um, but initially I think of those as well produced highly produced radio shows so why don't you think of them as podcasts because they didn't start as podcasts. They started as radio shows that they decided we're, we're going to allow people to download them. But a podcast that, from my experience, because of how I started, right. is starting on your own um, with nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jad's been on the show, and I'm a huge fan. And, um, you know, WNYC gave him a space for several years and an income to really explore how he wanted to progress. Right. And that's part of the reason the show did so well, is he was given that time um, to grow. Yeah. And, you know, you're struggling with that now, I'm sure, as someone who's hosting all these shows, and I mean hosting physically and financially, uh-huh. yeah. where you're like, how much time can I give this thing <laughs> to, well, but, to incubate? You yeah, know? and that and that's something that, like, but that is exactly what I wanted to do because, to me, I don't see a big distinction between, like, the like, there is a big distinction that, like, Jad was managed to find a little niche inside the public radio system in which he could sort of grow and develop into 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 the thing he became, and but I and so this company to me is really about like just being intentional about giving more people that niche and helping them. Yeah, you know, and like that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do. But I think at the same time, part of what we want to do is sort of like so. Sometimes we're going to be doing that, and we, we'll, we bring people on salary, and everybody who works here is on salary, and we we are doing that, and then. But then part of that is also sort of like if we can partner with people who don't need that and and help them in other ways to sort of like grow grow the revenue and grow the audience and stuff like that that's also a great opportunity for us. So those are so it's like a bunch of different like most of the shows that we're going to be doing we're, are going to be people that we are paying salary and benefits to to produce. And so the Adams are getting salaries and no. benefits. No. The Adams uh I mean, I don't want to, like, they have a different arrangement, basically. It's sort of like, it's more like, you know, it's a, sort of more like a, a joint venture with them. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. what I was trying to figure oh, out initially. Oh, got it, got I was it, got like, it, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, we're paying Adam McKay a salary. <laughs> so confused. I was like, I feel like <laughs> it, it almost didn't make financial or business sense. And I was like, I don't know if I'm the person to be advising I you. That, was, that would be very confusing. Like, what you, So your basic question was like, why are you paying Adam McKay a salary? I was like, I feel like you're starting out and he might have resources. Like I kept trying to go 
<laughs> Got it. No. No, that's a different arrangement with those guys. I was like, I don't know you yeah. really well, but I think you can make a different <laughs> connection yeah. with him. And I'm sure he would be open to it because he is a very thoughtful human being. Yeah. So I was <laughs> totally confused. The thing that's nice, though, is that like we can have these different arrangements, right, with people. Yeah. Uh, where, yes, where it uh, doesn't... We don't have to pay everybody a salary if they if you are already a person of means and you have an idea. We can find another arrangement. And not just personal means, but also has a huge platform as as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, okay. the biggest, yes. And that's yeah, exactly. Like he's yeah, he reaches millions and millions and millions of people <laughs> through his movies and through Funny or Die and through all the other stuff that he has that is a yeah. My head when was he started. Yeah. about to explode. I yeah. just want you to know that. Sorry about that. <laughs> totally didn't understand what. Yeah. I guess, I, yeah, it's, a, it's sort of funny. Like, I never, uh, it never occurred to me that, because it, it, I mean, obviously, it, it, it makes perfect sense that, like, you see, we, we're hiring all these people and, so you, and we're doing this podcast with them. So it would make sense that, like, oh, all right, so you must be paying them. Yeah. Now we have a slate of arrangements with different, different, different that we can, that we can employ. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> So I do want to um, ask you about what I was sort of um, talking about before. I wanted to ask you how you weigh incubating shows and mm-hmm. l- letting them have the time to breathe and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and also knowing that you have a set amount of money and you can only spend so much. How uh-huh. do you balance those two very different goals? One is as a business person. Mm-hmm. Did you like my politically thoughtful yeah, language? Mm-hmm. And um, one is as a journalist who knows the benefits of having had that time to grow? Uh, well, so 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 far it hasn't been that as much of a trade-off as I was I was worried about, um, because and that's the nice thing about raising the money, you know. And then so so right now we we raised a bunch of money and most of it is still in the bank account because we were able to sort of like get the other shows up and running and then they started generating revenue so our burn rate is like pretty low right now like we raised that million and a half and we can expand and we have we have many we have like four or five employees who are just working on stuff that won't see the light of day for months you know or half a year um uh, and because we have that cushion, and because the other shows that are up and running are generating are generating revenue, that we're able to do that. Like the nightmare scenario is that like the you know either advertising revenue goes away, or like our audience plummets, or the next shows, the next three shows that we launch, nobody likes, and then we're sort of like then we're going to be then it's going to be a, a, a bigger trade off. But right now, like. We're we're currently working sort of like actively on three or four different shows that are we're just we're just spending money and they're not generating any anything and we're going to continue to spend money for months on them and that 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 seems fine yeah it's exciting yeah what were the elements that and I'm sure there wasn't a moment or an Oprah aha moment but um, when did you feel inspired to leave public radio and say I want to go into business. <laughs> um, I never felt inspired to do it. <laughs> I felt, I, I think, compelled is the more is the better word. Like it just, it just became cl- like I didn't want to do it for a long time. Like I wanted somebody within public radio to do it themselves, or to like hire me to do it, or partner with me to do it, or something. It just kept feeling like. 
you know, this is clearly something that shouldn't be happening. Like there needs to be a an incubator for these shows and it needs to be a smart incubator. It doesn't need to be just like, we'll give you some money and like come up with something. It needs to be, you know, where you 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 have like editorial help as well as as well as financial help and you're thinking about it smartly. Um and I, I guess, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I had a vision for how it should look, which is the, the way that the company now looks. Um, but, uh, but I didn't, I didn't want to quit my job and I didn't want to start a business necessarily, you know, and it, but it just kept feeling like more and more like it clearly needed to be done. And then there's this sense that like I wanted to like, also like I wanted to own something, you know, like I don't own property, but I've never been able to buy a house in New York. I've never been able to like, you know, uh, and, you know, my wife and I had kids and I was just sort of like, am I going to just be like an employee forever? Uh, and, um, and, uh, you know, and so it just felt like I, I had this vision for this thing that should exist and I was having those thoughts and I just felt like, well, I guess what that means is that I have to go and do this, you know? Um, is it a question of mortality there, of, of leaving something larger than oneself? Maybe. More for me, it was like a question of like, sort of like, if I'm going to be working my butt off building these things, like I would want, I, I, I would like to have a piece of them, you know, I would like to have, I would like to have, own parts of them, you know, it just felt like I just wanted to have equity in something, you know, um, and honestly, like, I bet you if I had managed to buy a house, I might not have felt that way that <laughs> powerfully, <laughs> or if I managed, if I invested my money better, I don't know if I would have felt that way, but this felt like I'm old now, and I have kids, and, and I feel like I need to, um, I want to, I want to, I want to build something that I own part of. I know you've spoken about um, being conflict avoidant, and also feeling like um, the shows can feel more stressful to get out time management-wise. Um, how have you corrected for those two challenges? Um, or do you not see those as issues for yourself? No, I do. I mean, I, 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 I'm getting a little bit better at the conflict thing. I'm trying to, like, I've, I try to have conversations with people when I feel them and I try to, like, it's just little things. It's sort of like noticing this pattern of, like, I'm not saying something even though I have a thought about it and, like, just trusting myself to, like, okay, say the thought you have. Um, uh, so, I, I'm, yeah. Since I've been here, you haven't punched anyone. So I, I do want to say that anyone. that is a, a positive change. That is true. Uh, the, the punching people was never my, was never my problem. <laughs> yeah, the opposite. Uh, the opposite. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, time management is still like, that's an issue. It's like sort of like, how do we, you know, like we, we it's, um, it's an issue for me. And like right now it's, and it's a question about sort of like the podcasting world. Like there isn't really a hard clock, um, but we need to, they, you know, they definitely need to come out, you know, on a regular, on a regular basis. And you can sort of make it whatever it needs to be, but like, they definitely need to come out, you know, at, at, like on a schedule. Um, it's also a false dichotomy because the real question is like, okay, I know I need to do things that require more hours than I actually have. So right. how do I actually do this? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, I feel like there's like that's where like, you know, also helping knowing, just knowing that I'm bad at certain things and like knowing like just that other people are better at them and then trusting them to make the judgments is like really important. Like that has been the biggest thing that I've learned is sort of like, okay, I know, I know what my deficiencies are and I need to find people who are better at that um, so that they can, so that, you know, 
shit doesn't go off the rails. One of my favorite things that I've learned from you, there, there are certain gifts you have, like your um, gift for storytelling and editing that I don't think I'll ever learn, but I can certainly appreciate as a, a consumer of your work. But one of the things I did love is, um, I think advice in general is useless for the most part, except for um, this advice that I'm giving right now. No, except for two <laughs> things that, that you um, offered as advice, and, and one was to hold on to your keys uh-huh. <laughs> when did I say I don't even... You said that in an interview where you had held on to the keys for WBEZ Chicago. Oh, yeah, hold on to your key card. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Key card. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That really was very important. Like, when you, whenever you're an intern, just keep... You just, like, use the, use the material. Yeah, you use the, use the resources, hang on to your key card, do your work at night. Yeah, totally. Uh, do you still have, like, your Oberlin ID? Until very recently, I still had my Oberlin ID. Like, like I got rid of it recently. If I need a meal. Yeah, no, I know it's true though. I had it for a long time, and I had my and I had my I had my I had one of my key cards, my This American Life key card, for a long, long time. But I but now I don't have either one of them. Yeah. And the second more thoughtful piece of advice that I loved hearing from you once was to shut up when you're interviewing people. Oh, yes. Very important. Yeah. You're doing it now. And see, I felt compelled to fill the silence with something deeply personal and, and, and moving. Listen, I don't know what got into me. I was drunk, and so I did end up committing murder. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about it, and it feels really good to get it off my chest. See? Works really well. <laughs> Do you want me to start crying now? <laughs> uh... All right, so how long are you going to do it? See, this is the part where I usually do start talking. At a certain point, let me give you a little bit more advice. At a certain point, you do want to come back in, just sort of like say like a, like, and how did that make you feel? Or at least like, mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. Not give me anything. I am very fortunate to have had you on the show. I love your show as well as the two new ones that you have Reply All and um, Starly Kinds as well. So thank you so much, Alex, and thank congratulations you. on winning this duly deserved award. <laughs> thank you for bestowing it upon me. <laughs> so what did you think? Uh, it's really my favorite podcast since the last one. <gasps> I thought it was a fascinating episode. I want to thank all of you for listening. I really want to thank Jelly D and Ian Mazoff for enabling this podcast to happen. And I am going to do a shout out to all of you to please give if you can. There are several ways to give. You can donate money. You can also write nice things about us on iTunes and on SoundCloud or however it is you listen to this podcast because those things help because in order for us to continue this labor of love, we're going to need a little more support. But I do also want to just say thank you to all of you who have been giving. It's been fantastic to have you along for the ride. And we have a whole new season coming up. Joe's Pop, we're going to be there monthly. So check out employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out more. And I think that's it. I think everyone else is just enjoy their day. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, guys. Yeah. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.